Blog Talk Radio. Greetings and salutations, hempsters. This is your hemptrepreneurial host, Tyler Hemp. As always, here to hemp power and hemp educate your hemposphere because it's important. And as you know, we love to discuss the benefits and uses of industrial hemp for food, homes, clothing, energy applications, and so much more. And so thank you for investing your valuable time with us today. Although most of us have more time these days, uh, what you do with that 24 hours in each day is an investment of your attention and your awareness. And so investing in your education and investing in hemp, I believe, are two commendable things uh, that you can be doing for yourself and the planet. So um, I think you're going to really appreciate this brief yet powerful conversation that I'm about to have with hemp expert, longtime author, hemp entrepreneur, goat herder, and the man who discovered the iGene, Mr. Doug Fine. Uh, we're going to take a deep dive into his fantastic uh, piece of Americana, as David Bronner puts it, uh, which is his brand new book, American Hemp Farmer, Adventures and Misadventures in the Cannabis Trade. So there's so many topics that we could dive into today, but for the sake of brevity, we're going to take a deep dive into this new essential read that Doug has not only published on paperback, but it's available as an audiobook as well, which is really exciting. Um, and so with that said, welcome aboard this hemp train of thought, Mr. Doug Fine. It's a pleasure to have you on Hemp Aware Radio again. It's such a pleasure to be back with you, Tyler. Thank you for that kind intro. Right on. So since I was, uh, you know, my intention is to really focus on the book, uh, American Hemp Farmer Adventures and Misadventures in the Cannabis Trade. If you don't mind, I'd love to just read the brief paragraph uh, on the back cover because it does such a great job of distilling the value and, and what the readers will receive after you know getting the book. Great. So it says, Hemp, the non-psychoactive variant of cannabis and one of humanity's oldest plant allies, has quietly become the fastest industry ever to generate a billion dollars of annual revenue in North America. From seed to fiber to the currently ubiquitous cannabinoid CBD, hemp is leading the way to a new regenerative economy that contributes to soil and climate restoration, but only if we do it right. An American hemp farmer, Doug Fine, gets his hands dirty with healthy soil and sticky with terpenes when growing his own crop and creating his own hemp products. He shares his adventures and misadventures as an independent regenerative farmer and entrepreneur, all the while uh, laying out a vision for how hemp can help right the wrongs of the 20th century agriculture. So, uh, I mean, that's just so well written. Um, and I've already, you know, dove in. I, I, the way I read books is I, I read the, the front cover, the back cover, and I read the intro, and then I briefly read the table of contents, and then I kind of skim through the whole book. And I've kind of done that. I haven't, you know, gone on a deep dive and read word for word, but there's some really good nuggets in here, and I'm really excited to uh, jump into the book. So, you know, my first curiosity is what is your major inspiration for writing this book? Having been involved in both regenerative agriculture, sustainable living personally, and hemp cannabis journalism for a long time, well over a decade, 
what seemed important when it was time to write my next book, I, following a couple of other cannabis books, um, Hemp Bound, which was a high-altitude look at hemp just as it was being federally legalized that came out on 4-20-2014. Before that was Too High to Fail, a look at regenerative psychoactive cannabis farmers in Northern California's Emerald Triangle from 2011. And then a book I wrote um, just about my efforts to get petroleum out of my life but uh, keep digital age comforts in 2008 uh, called Farewell My Subaru. When it was time to write this new book, oh, and I should say it was in between a hemp printed monograph called First Legal Harvest that documented right. some of but the have first a few copies, yeah. farmers. It was a fun one. And and some of the hemp that they grew actually went into the production of the, of the monograph, which was fun. Um, so when mm-hmm. it was time to write this new book, um, the message that I felt was important to shout was very, very clear. And the soundbite for it is this time the farmers are in charge. And Mm. many people know, many of of your listeners will know about Wendell Berry, the great Kentucky farmer philosopher. Um, He left me a voicemail. I wrote him to invite him to come to speak at a hemp conference that friends were putting on. I wrote him on hemp paper, of course. And he called me back and left a voicemail that I still that I saved that basically said, I'm feeling a little you know, old here in my 80s. I can't make it to this conference, but please pass the word to hemp people that to avoid the trap of relying on wholesale markets and – I'm paraphrasing here – and becoming serfs to uh, um, middlemen and, and, and big ag. You've got to control the resource. You've got to be involved in value-added products and all that kind of thing. So the message of the book is – um, essentially, as hemp returns to humanity, we can thank a prohibitionist for for keeping it out of our this longest one of the longest utilized of uh, humanity's plants for keeping it out of our legal hands for three quarters of a century because now we can launch any way we want. And when we hear people say, mm-hmm. "Well, that's not how agriculture is done. That's not how seed regulations been done," well, it's like, well then you shouldn't abandon our plant for 75 years because we're going to do it the way we want and you're going to change regs so that we benefit. And how, how has your way been benefiting farmers? we got a farm aid concert every year because farmers are struggling. We want farming to be a lucrative mm-hmm. profession like dentistry, let's say, or lawyerhood or whatever. And mm-hmm. intimately tied into this, Tyler, is the fact that what makes independent farming the leading brand in hemp is that regenerative techniques, the same values that are going to sequester carbon and help humanity get a few centuries in, uh, of survival into to rethink the way we run our whole economy and society, those same techniques result in far and away superior hemp products. And so if we can educate customers that just like fresh squeezed orange juice is going to be better than frozen concentrate, that if you seek mm-hmm. out your regenerative farmers, your hemp products are going to be better. It's win-win for everyone. Main Street oh, yeah. comes back, urban gets sequestered, um, and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, uh, you get the better hemp product. Exactly. I love it. And, and that's what it's all about. Uh, the economy, the ecology, the ecosystem, it, it's all one system. And so I, I love the way you're speaking because really it comes down to regenerating our soil, you know, uh, beyond even hemp, but knowing the amazing benefits of hemp and what it can do to our soils and for our soils and, you know, as a rotate, ro- great rotation crop and um, just all the other amazing benefits. But 
this issue of, you know, glyphosate and the soil just being eroded, the topsoil, like all the, the last, you know, since hemp has been Ill, illegal, um, just the crazy chemicals that are being used to poison our, our farmers and our people. And we're, you know, you're absolutely right that this is the time that we stand up uh, to what this, you know, country was founded on, which is we the people, by the people, for the people. And so what more than anything to, to have the right to grow the foods we want and um, in the way that we want with regenerative farming practices. So uh, I, we're definitely on the same page with that. And so, um, you know, there is a huge need. There's a huge need to educate our farmers. There's a huge need to educate our, our, um, our people that consume products on a daily basis or small businesses uh, about the benefit that hemp can offer. Um, you know, but of course we have to fuel our farmers first, get them, get them the education and the seed and the knowledge to grow, but then help them have that supply chain dialed in, whether they're a part of that directly or have good relationships with manufacturers and processors so that there's a, a holistic um, supply chain. Um, and so, so my question is to you, what was your intention or hope to get out of this book? Cause I know obviously it's for the hemp farmer. It's called American hemp farmer. Um, and, and so what was your intention that they'll walk away having read this book, whether they're an entrepreneur farmer or non-farmer? Great question. And I would also say it is also a book for people who want to cultivate in their backyard for their families, superfood and or fiber and, and or cannabinoids, and people who just want to support regenerative hemp farming. But to the extent that you're right, um, a key target audience is independent farmers. I think there's a few takeaways that um, I hope emerge from the book. First of one would be um, we are the heart of the hemp industry. There's, you know, we bless us. We live in a free society. That's great. Anybody can join, and that means that what you might call 20th century big ag is going to want to be part of it, and uh, that's, you know, that's fine. Um, in, a, in a level playing field marketplace, um, I think the independent regenerative farmer is going to uh, prevail, um, but first, yes. uh, confidence-building exercise that we are this industry, and if we get our messaging out, um, it's going to be a, a, a new ballgame. People are not going to seek uh, Diet Coke CBD. They're going to seek their mm-hmm. region's farmers' hemp. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that's one message. Another um, message I would say um, uh, besides that regenerative independent farming is is the leading brand, I would say another message is that farming doesn't end at harvest anymore. As much as farmers, let's say for the last century or two, have kind of gotten screwed over by the middleman and there's been you know dangerous pesticides considered conventional in many crops, these kind of things, um, <laughs> at least <laughs> you finish the harvest, you know, nature, God, whatever your word is for the divine, has smiled on you, you got the your corn, toy, wheat, whatever it is, into the silo, into the into the distributor, and then it's Miller time. They used to call it mending harness, right? You could go in and make some popcorn, put the feet up, and watch the movies. You might not um, be very relaxed and comfortable financially, but at least you get the winter off. And um, that's mm-hmm. not that's not the case now. The trade off is we are not just farmers; we are farmers on farmers slash entrepreneurs. All of us. We have to uh, market. And, and and get our product out to customers. Let, let them know that we are there. So it's a year-round profession now for a family or a coalition of families or a cooperative or a community um, farmers. But it's, the good mm-hmm. news is 
is that instead of the three cents of the retail dollar that most farmers get for most crops today, we could get 100 cents after expenses of the dollars if we are successful in communicating our message that our products are superior. Yeah, right. Exactly. And having the education on what machinery you might need, what uh, specific knowledge you might need on how to process the hemp, what part of the hemp and and you're absolutely right. That's that's. I love your vision, and I'm fully in support of the the biggest brand. You know, because Hemp Aware is we're all about hemp marketing, branding, and education to the hemp industry. And so, uh, we're fully behind you. That hemp farming, regenerative hemp farming, is the leading brand right now uh, to, for us all to focus on as as Americans. Um, and that's great. Keep you know getting as much of that. Um, uh, you know, return from that from that field to the farmer as possible, and allow them to become the fully integrated uh, company that they could be, whether it's on an individual level, small scale, or co-oping with local farmers and and processors in the area. I, I'm all for that, and that's that's definitely the nature of of um, this conversation. Um, and so, in the book, um, do you mainly focus just on industrial hemp below 0.3 percent? Uh, THC, or do you get into medical or recreational cannabis at all? I'm glad you asked that question because I would say the number one policy message in the book, Tyler, is the end game of THC irrelevance until the retail level. And what this really Mm -hmm. means is that the number one issue for farmers is uh, that today the number one problem for hemp farmers is removed today, which is panic that your crop might go hot, minuscule amount might go a minuscule amount over the ridiculous and admittedly arbitrary level of 0.3% THC that today defines hemp. That THC yeah. level was determined in the 1976 Canadian paper in which the researchers used the word arbitrarily chosen. Um, in the book, I, I have an email exchange with the now octogenarian co-author of that paper who says, well, it wasn't really arbitrary. You know, we did look at a lot of different cultivars and uh, around the world, and we kind of, you know, picked a number that seemed like it made sense as a cutoff. But the truth is, is there should be no delineation between one type of cannabis and another type of cannabis. And for someone as elevated and educated as you and your listeners, I'll I'll kind of give the in-depth reason and I'll try to do it concisely. The reason is, as many of us already know, THC, of course, is part of the plant. It's part one of 100-plus known cannabinoids in the plant that act in what we call the entourage effect in, in, in concert with each other in different ratios, similar to omega ratios, let's say, on the nutritive end. And uh, like when one is eating a superfood like hemp seed. Here we're talking about the little trichomes that contain the cannabinoids that reside on hemp's flower. And um, the plant has evolved over hundreds of thousands or more years to have delicate ratios of these cannabinoids for reasons of survival, for predator defense. And Michael Pollan argues so that humans will caretake for it <laughs> and, um, and uh, lots, lots of other reasons, right? So this ridiculous arbitrary recent delineation calling something cannabis slash ganja and something else hemp has to go away, and there's real-world marketplace reasons. Right now, uh, TMI alert, my, my homemade hemp underwear comes from China, and um, it's fa- uh, fabric provided by the lovely lady, the wonderful 
woman-owned uh, entity in Colorado. Enviro um, uh, Textile, Summer and Barbara. Enviro yeah, Textile, yeah. uh, great, great people and great company. And um, mm-hmm. so my sweetheart gets the you know, raw organic material and makes the makes the uh, hemp underwear and other clothes for me, right? So um, that tech, those textiles are grown in China for a lot of reasons. Um, but one of the issues, one of the reasons, is that the Chinese industry hasn't been out there subjecting its farmers to aggressive THC testing. They just want the best, most productive crop. Um, and mm-hmm. again, there's a lot of reasons why at the moment China is the textile world leader. But this is one of them, yeah. which is the best product isn't going to be necessarily the lowest THC. And that is including in hemp applications where THC never shows up in the final product. So what we might see is, yes. for instance, a nutritive superfood crop, a crop that is grown for the seed, right? Nothing to do with the flower or smoking or medicinal or health man, none of the cannabinoid CBD, none of it. It's grown for seed. Might, if the flower were tested, have, say, 7%, 9% THC, right? But that should be irrelevant to the laws, to the farmer, to everyone, because what you're selling is hemp seed. And even hemp flour products might be marketed at 1%, 2%, 3%. And the, the example I'd like to give on that is former governor of my state, Gary Johnson, one of his early cannabis investments was with a Colorado company that was making a mint that was aimed at a older market for folks who wanted to maybe have a, a pain easing mint, to, uh, you know, to not have to take a, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory or something like that. They, they could eat this mint. And that company recognized that something like a one-ish percent THC level made the pain-relieving effects of the entourage effect and the other cannabinoids more effective, right? And so technically, that's a ganja product, right? It's over 0.3, but it's minuscule. Mm-hmm. No one's getting high, and that's why they kept yeah. the level so low because a lot of seniors may not want to feel the effect of more THC, right? Mm-hmm. But technically, that's a ganja effect. So we might have a ganja product at 1% and a so-called hemp seed product at 9% mm-hmm. THC. And that's none of the government's business. And the last people we should be keeping up at night sweating are the farmers over these minuscule amounts of THC. Mm-hmm. The war on cannabis is over. Cannabis is won. And it's time to mm-hmm. get the feds out of the cannabis game. Just call it all cannabis and let states decide. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if a product is going to market in a, as a flower product that is over a state threshold of THC for adult use or medicinal use, it'll be regulated. But until yeah. it goes to the retail market, that should be no one's business. Uh, it's, it's so essential, and that, that's um, a conversation that, that has been talked about, obviously much more recently. Um, but th- I've you know have conversations with hemp experts over the years, and some say that the higher THC levels will actually produce bigger, more voluptuous, higher oil content seeds as well. So it's only natural for, like you said, especially with the truth about the benefits of cannabinoids. I mean, there, there's no logical reason to, uh, to govern this plant in this way. So, uh, you know, that, that's totally awesome. And, and in the first chapter, which is entitled be first, better or different, um, you know, obviously there, th- this is like right before the gold rush, you know, there's so much opportunity here. And although we're in, you know, a freaking depression or whatever you want to call it, or, complete government lockdown craziness, um, which is against our constitutional rights, by the way. We have the right to travel and the right to 
work where we want, when we want. They don't, you know, no one has the right to tell us. Um, there, there's no law that can be passed that takes our constitutional rights away, in other words. So, um, you know, when, when you get in, you know, that's another topic we don't have to go into because we literally only have like 10 minutes left. But the first ch- uh, uh, chapter is be first, better, or different. What, what does that mean? I know that, you know, this is a huge opportunity and I have a feeling that has to do with you know, being unique and, and standing out. But I'd love for you to elaborate a little bit. Thank you. Yes. The 20 acre or smaller farmer enterprise is sort of the um, model that's described in the book, although we map onto as large as thousands of acres in for, you know, heartland Midwest farmers um, and, and farmers around the world. We call it American hemp farmer, but it's, it's really about this revival all the world over. Um, and also on, the potential for marketing a half acre or one acre crop. But given that we're generally focusing on small acres, the the concept of be first, better, or different, which is something I heard Dolly Parton say with, you know, shaking her hips, mm. uh, pointing her fingers when I was a little kid and it stuck, stuck with me. Um, it, what that, what that message is, is that somebody else is going to have the, you know, isolated CBD pill in the chain drugstore. That's not what we're trying to do what we're trying to do is like a fine wine or a terroir a regional hemp variety a regional variety of wine or parmesan cheese can only be called parmesan cheese if it comes from parmesan italy and champagne even if it's award-winning sparkling wine grown in california cannot be called champagne um because Mm -hmm. that's a region in france right so what we're saying is we're creating your your product as an independent farmer, is something that you're going to explain is first to the market, which is already unlikely for a lot of people, better, that much more likely, or different. And um, I'll give the example of my, my product. I really, at this point, my product, um, uh, although I love it and take it seriously, I do it kind of to try to be a role model in certain ways for, for pre- preaching, practicing what I preach. Um, but the product itself, what I like is that it is hemp, in uh, hemp flour that I grew, got certified organic in Vermont with my, with my colleagues and partners, and infusing it in hemp seed oil, at least some of which hemp seed oil comes from the same crop that was grown. I grow dioecious, right? So that's already, meaning male and female, that's already different. Most people grow today sensimia. For 8,000 years, they've grown dioecious, but for the last 20 years, most people have grown females only for the most part. They're only growing for flowers. So I'm already saying, hey, this is different. I got this slogan, mm-hmm. everybody's happier when they're dating, right, because there's male and female crops that there, maybe there's some sort of hormonal balance that's going on. Your cannabinoid right. levels are lower and different, just like a woman's body changes with pregnancy. Mm-hmm. A fertilized hemp flower is going to be different than a non-fertilized hemp flower. And so, again, I'm uh, – you know, I'm only mentioning my product just because I know it best. It's different. I'm able to say this was grown in Vermont. It's put in a, a bottle that looks like a, a, um, a, uh, a maple syrup bottle, and it's infused in a sort of shamanistic ancient way, just heating it up in the lipids from its own plant. And that lipid is hemp seed oil, a superfood. So it's not mm-hmm. just focusing on the CD gold rush. Boom, there you've got a different product. In Hawaii, someone's mm-hmm. going to make a product with uh, macadamia nuts in it. And, um, you know, I already have a colleague here in New Mexico where I, I live and, and cultivate just for genetic development and my own family's food. But I live uh, here and my, my um, um, colleague, Lou Siebinger of Siebinger Hemp, grows green chili hemp. Of course he grows green chili hemp. That's our brand here, right? So there's opportunities, as you say, are endless 
for people to be first, better, or different. And I think that's going to be how people succeed if they're in it for the long haul, healing soil, making a living, building communities, and not just a get-rich-quick scheme uh, following a gold rush. Uh, so well put. And that's uh, we're, we're definitely going to expand on this topic because you know it, it's so vital to to have – to have a purpose, a mission, a vision, you know, I know, and those are colloquial phrases that come up in every company, but to be genuine about it and, and that, you know, by identifying those things, you can identify what makes you unique and what makes you different. And um, we'll definitely have more conversations and we have amazing resources on hempaware.com. We'll, you know, I have a book, it's called do one thing hemp and it's make your dot. And so it's about finding that unique difference. And, and it's a free download on our website, which anyone can get access to. Um, but just to kind of wrap up here, we have about five more minutes, um, you know, to um, focus more on this regenerative, organic um, farming, you know, on, on weeding, watering, and organic certification. What was your main point in, in this section, which is a, a chapter in the book, um, and, and part two, this question, do you feel it's totally necessary to work with certified organic or are there um, going you know, to be and are there other ways that are beyond USDA certified organic? Or do you feel that's essential? Another great question. The USDA organic certification is a valuable one. Um, Bottom line for farmers, I think of my, my good friend and colleague, Roger Gushis of Healthy Oil Seeds in North Dakota. He has a huge hemp seed oil press operation that can handle, you know, thousands and thousands of acres of production, and he pays 30% more for organic seed. It's just worth more when he turns around and sells the hemp seed oil. So it's more mm-hmm. valuable to the farmer, first of all. It also means that certain of the more horrible um, uh, pesticides and Practices like you can't water with industrial sludge on organic crop, for instance. There actually is meaning to it, and uh, you know, as 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 you are well aware, and as the book points out, when you anything that is going to be a federal designation that it's intended to cover 300 million people um, is going to be kind of lowest common denominator, and so there's obviously better modes that could be out there in the future, especially for the educated customer, things that incorporate. Um, uh, fair trade practices and farmer supporting practices and regenerative packaging and delivery and all those kind of things. And we should all pay attention to that. Um, in the book, I really try to walk the line, Tyler, where, between expressing what we really dream of in the promised land and trying to also be realistic. And if I lean towards one thing, it's I lean towards let's retrieve the dream. Like it's not like I'm trying to say ah. We were stuck with USDA certification, but I do think when possible and feasible, it's a good business decision and a good environmental decision for hemp farmers to get that certification. Plus, how fun to have a federal certification for a crop that, you know, a few years ago would, be, would have been considered a Schedule 1, uh, you know, yeah. controlled substance for that. Exactly. Most certainly. Well, that's well said, and I appreciate you covering that. And, and as, a, as a base ground, USDA, and if you can't, I mean, we offer, we were strategic, uh, we have a, a wonderful relationship with Roger Gracious as well. And, um, you know, we offer the USDA organic as well as the non-certified organic. And we know the farmers, we know their practices. And so it's good to have, I think, those options out there. And if, if you've got to start somewhere, at least, you know, 
If you can get seeds in the ground first, great, do that. If you want to get your land certified and go through that process, wonderful. If you want to integrate, um, you know, practices of regenerative farming and, you know, composting and crop rotation and, and um, you know, com- um, uh, bat guano or all these, you know, different compounds and, and sea vegetables or things that you can add to the soil to beef it up, that once again can make you unique and different. Um, so to kind of wrap it up, we just have about one more minute here. If there was one thing you wanted to leave with our listeners, you know, about regenerative farming or um, about the book, what, what uh, are your last thoughts here? I would say visualize an entire regenerative biomaterials economy, not just hemp, as you pointed out. Hemp is spearheading it because we're so driven. We're, we're entrepreneurs, but we're activists as well as farmers. So um, think about biomaterials. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm holding right now a U.S.-grown 3D-printed hemp goat, being a goat farmer here in New Mexico. Visualize <laughs> goodbye Pacific Garbage Patch. And uh, as a customer, because we're all customers for things, even if we're growing our own hemp, um, be a label reader and really in everything that you do, suck it up and if for now pay the, the, the surcharge that often accompanies buying the top shelf local supported supporting product in everything that you do. Your hemp certainly, but in everything that you do, you don't need to get the mic product uh, for anything in your life anymore. And we're all on a journey, but I think that's a good if you're and if you're the producer, think about it. 100% regenerative, go with compostable labels and non-plastic bottles and deliver in electric vehicles if you can and think reasonable and think end of life for your product. It, it's ninth inning for humanity and we got to mitigate a climate disaster. Amen. Hallelujah. And so it is. Thank you so much, Doug. Listeners, um, go get a copy of American Hemp Farmer Adventures and Misadventures in the Cannabis Trade. Check out DougFine.com. And you can uh, take the links there. I'm sure you can find it on multiple websites uh, from that web from from his website, DougFine.com. And I look forward to having you on the show again soon, buddy, and, and seeing you in a hemp field. You're doing great work, Tyler. I'm happy to be with you anytime, and um, look forward to talking to you again. Thanks again, everyone. Have a blessed day.